This is Dr. Amy Hoffnagel from the University of Florida in Jacksonville, and today I will be interviewing Dr. William Armstead for an episode of the Snack Periscope. Dr. Armstead is a research professor of anesthesiology at the University of Pennsylvania. He holds a PhD in pharmacology. His research is currently focused on control of cerebral hemodynamics during traumatic brain injury, stroke, and cerebral ischemia. He is also involved in translational research on the role of sex and age in outcomes after TBI. Today, Dr. Armstead is here to talk about vasoactive agents as a therapeutic strategy in the treatment of pediatric TBI and to share his experience with a piglet model of TBI. Thank you, Dr. Armstead, for being with us today. Well, thank you, Equi, for having me here and for SNAC as an organization for uh, providing me with this opportunity to participate in this forum for discussing our research. So the first thing that I need to ask is if you have any disclosures in relation to this topic. I have nothing to disclose other than to thank NIH for its generous support of our research over the years. Okay, so my first question is, as we all know, TBI is the leading cause of injury-related death in children. Many basic science investigators have used rodent models for TBI in their research. Why did you choose piglets? That's an excellent uh, starting point question. Certainly agreed. Uh, Many folks uh, use rodent models of TBI. And actually, there are several positives uh, for doing so. For example, some of my recent collaborations uh, with rodent folks uh, have used their rodent models in order to obtain some preliminary data relative to dosing, time window for administration, and we used those very useful data to then inform study design for our subsequent studies in pigs. Let me tell you a bit why we think that the pig is a good model for use in TBI research. And I'll back into that by talking a bit about, uh, again, the rodent studies. Back in the 90s, uh, a number of investigators used rodents in ischemic uh, stroke research and traumatic brain injury research, and they obtained some rather strong, convincing data that uh, some drugs, putative neuroprotectants, really had efficacy and a nice time window for improving outcome in their rodent model of, again, ischemic stroke or TBI. People got excited about these data, and very quickly, some clinical trials were started in humans, and then the bottom dropped out. The studies fell flat on their face. Many people, even today, don't really fully understand what went wrong but those clinical trials were quickly stopped and the transfer to from rodent to human, again, also stopped. More recently, again, perhaps as a kind of an explanation, some people, including those at NIH, have called for use of more human-like species in animal modeling of ischemic stroke and traumatic brain injury. We have chosen the pig as our putative, more human-like species for a couple of reasons. And I'd like to tell you about those reasons and hopefully convince you and the audience as to the veracity of why we did what we've done over the last uh, number of years. Well, first, the pig has a gyroencephalic brain. The rodent has a lysencephalic brain. Of greater importance is the white to gray matter ratio. The pig, similar to the human, has a greater white to gray ratio, 
as compared to the rodent, which is the opposite with more gray than white. And this is important because it is the white matter that has been observed to be much, much more sensitive to damage in TBI and ischemic stroke. Additionally, the pig affords a size of an animal that allows for physiological monitoring. Now, by physiological monitoring, I mean, in particular, monitoring and measurement of cerebral blood flow. When you get down to it, the clinician often uses CPP and by direct inference then cerebral blood flow as a therapeutic target. The rat in those studies, typically LDF or laser Doppler flowmetry is used in order to monitor cerebral blood flow. LDF is good in the sense that it provides continuous data readings, but the negative is that it provides qualitative data. Data are reported as a percentage change from baseline, and it's highly regionally focused. Only the surface of the cortex is insinated, and so therefore, one really doesn't have a handle on what is happening to CBF in deeper brain structures. Getting back to the pig and the size of the pig, even the newborn pig, it's of a size such that one can use microsphere techniques for measurement of cerebral blood flow. The positive of the microsphere technique is one, that it is quantitative and not qualitative. Second, it provides regional blood flow, not just surface cortical flow, but deep structures. One can do this uh, many, many times. Uh, and so, therefore, the size of the animal affords us to do physiological monitoring. And if one were to particularly look at rat pups, then the challenge really is even to do uh, IAP, IDO, and topirene or, or LDF. The pig, the newborn pig, is of a size that we can do lots of things in terms of cerebral hemodynamic indices of outcome. So hopefully uh, the audience will be somewhat convinced, therefore, that uh, the pig is perhaps a good human-like mimic in order to use in pediatric TBI research. How is it that you actually produce a brain injury in the piglets? Well, again, uh, a very good question because injury is injury is injury, and in the human, it's very heterogeneous. By that I mean, well, from a biomechanical standpoint, TBI is either focal or diffuse. And in the human, one can have both things going on at the same time, and basic science animal models, in contradiction to that, slice out only a certain portion of that and look at, uh, say, a focal insult. So then the question really becomes, well, what is the entity, the clinical entity, that you are trying to model? If, for example, one is modeling a gunshot wound, then a very focal kind of injury, such as CCI, or controlled cortical impact, would be the one to use. We use lateral fluid percussion injury, and uh, FPI is a mixed focal diffuse insult, but it has a predominant diffuse component. The reason why it's good and useful for use in pediatric or modeling pediatric TBI is that clinically, 
TBI in the pediatric age group is predominantly diffuse. So in some then, the lateral fluid percussion injury technique is probably a, a very good model to mimic shaken impact, child abuse in the pediatric age group. Low cerebral perfusion pressure is associated with low cerebral blood flow, cerebral ischemia, and poor outcomes after TBI. In clinical situations, we often try to normalize the cerebral perfusion pressure using vasoactive agents. Does it matter which vasoactive agent we choose? Well, the quick answer is, well, yes. But let me back into it by giving some of the data which uh, support that. The 2012 pediatric guidelines recommend that cerebral perfusion pressure, CPP, be greater than 40 millimeters of mercury, and certainly clinicians realize that as a function of age, that minimal value will uh, increase. However, there are no brain trauma guideline recommendations which tell us how to get there. So mathematically, CPP is equal to MAP, mean arterial blood pressure, minus ICP, intracranial pressure. The analogy that uh, I probably uh, often like to use is the following. When you're on a nice summer day and you're washing your car and uh, you happen to step on the garden hose, not much water is then going to come out to wash away the, the soap that's left on the car. And so I, other than taking away your foot from the garden hose, you could have your friend go over to the spigot and turn up the spigot. Well, we do the same thing clinically. So what we do is, is we give a vasoactive agent, which increases MAP above ICP. ICP is elevated following TBI, and so mathematically, that quantity becomes so great that CPP drops. If, alternatively, one gives a vasoactive agent, increasing MAP numerically to a value greater than ICP, then CPP is normalized. So while this is what's done clinically, the choice of vasoactive agent is often empiric, variable, and the variability in choice of vasoactive agent may lead to the variability in mortality that we see in clinical cases. I'm going to bring up an anecdotal observation that my clinical colleague, uh, Dr. Monica Vavilala at UW Seattle Harborview has made. In Seattle, phenylephrine is the typical vasoactive agent that's used for treatment of young children who have unfortunately been subjected to a brain injury. Anecdotally, retrospectively, Monica observed that sometimes the kids got better and sometimes they got worse. And then when we teased it out, we kind of looked at this and saw that, well, some vasoactive agents improved outcomes universally in both boys and girls. Some only improved boy, only improved girls and not boys. And so what we ended up with was a conclusion that, gee, maybe we should more rigorously look at this because maybe vasoactive agent choice does make a difference in terms of ultimate outcome achieved. How did you look at that with your piglet model? So in our piglet model, um, what we decide to do is um, use different vasoactive agents. Well, first, the, the real need for this is the fact that basically no one has really looked at this in a rigorous manner, either clinically or in a basic science sense. A recent clinical trial, the MMT, or Multiple Medical Therapy Trial, has been funded by NINDS with um, Mike Bell as PI, 
And this trial will provide a longitudinal look at things. Um, outcome will be looked at three, six, and 12 months uh, post-injury and patients given various vasoactive agents for CPP support. So backing into it, therefore, at least this trial will start attempting in a clinical uh, sense to compare and contrast different vasoactive agents. But what we have done in our basic science studies is really kind of more rigorously looked at this. And probably what one should really look at is what index of outcome is going to be used in the basic science studies to determine whether a vasoactive agent uh, is going to improve outcome or not. And the index of outcome that we have chosen to use is cerebral autoregulation. The reason why we chose cerebral autoregulation is because I'll go back to some studies that I did with my clinical colleague, Monica Vavilala at Seattle. These are clinical studies where we looked at outcome, GCS, Glasgow Coma Scale, and we correlated GCS after TBI in pediatric cases with autoregulation. And we noticed a correlation with greater impairment of autoregulation being correlated with lower GCS. So therefore, the clinical import of this is that cognitive outcome is correlated with autoregulation, and if one can protect autoregulation, then hopefully we can affect a better outcome. So you did mention Dr. Valvilala a few times. I would also like to note that she's done an episode of the Periscope on TBI that's available at this website, um, snack.org. Uh, as part of her research, she's noted that young and male patients tend to do worse after TBI when compared with the older and the female. Has this followed through into your pig model of TBI? Well, again, an excellent question, and the short answer is yes. But again, the explanation is a little more lengthy, so give me some latitude and perhaps um, I can kind of embellish it and fill in the gaps. Please. Uh, so what we did was, you know, these studies kind of go back to the early 90s. We were interested in the role of age in those years in terms of determining outcome following TBI in our piglet model. So we did lateral fluid percussion injury. We used two ages of pigs one- to five-day-old pigs, and four-week-old pigs. You may ask, why these ages? Well, some folks back in the 70s, uh, Dobbing in particular, looked at a number of different brain indices, uh, water content, suture closure, and what they did was is they constructed brain growth curves for a number of different species, the idea being that one can roughly approximate the age of a cat, goat, sheep, dog, pig with X age of human. When looking at those brain growth curves, the one to five day old pig roughly approximates a two year old child and a four week old pig roughly approximates an eight to 10 year old child. So we're looking at two kinds of clinical entities the two-year-old shaken impact, the uh, 10-year-old, uh, maybe the child fell out of a tree or maybe is a passenger in a motor vehicle, and so you have an MVA type of injury. So two kinds of clinical entities here. And when we looked at this, 
we again use cerebral autoregulation as our index of outcome, and we observed something striking, the fact that from a cerebral hemodynamic standpoint, the younger pig, the one to five day old pig, was uptunded much greater and for a longer period of time as compared to the older pig. By that I mean the degree of impairment. We look at cerebral autoregulation by definition as constant blood flow in the face of a changing mean arterial blood pressure. So the drop in blood flow when you're testing autoregulation is greater in the younger pig versus the older pig. And it actually lasted for up to three days post-insult. Whereas in the older pig, the degree or the drop of CBF when testing autoregulation was not as great and actually only lasted about four hours post-insult. And these were longitudinal studies that we conducted for seven days, and by seven days, things had really kind of roughly come back to control value. But between the zero and the seven-day, things were very different as a function of the degree of impairment and the time duration. So, and interestingly, that is very much in sync with what Monica has observed in the sense that children less than four years of age appear to be more tunded than those greater than four years of age. Additionally, uh, the role of sex in more recent studies was investigated, and lo and behold, we saw very similar things to what she's observed in children, namely that it's the young and the male which are more tunded and by obtunded against free water regulation, uh, and we also do histopathology uh, in hippocampal region, for example, CA1 and CA3, which is one of the learning centers, one of the centers involved in learning and cognition. And we see more neuronal cell necrosis in the male and the young versus the older and the female. So very interestingly, we see mirror image and so kind of in a feed-forward cycle, the observations of Dr. Vavilala help inform our basic science studies where we can do lots of things that you can't do in humans. We can do mechanistically driven studies, for example, which then will hopefully inform and improve treatment of brain-injured children. And I bring that up because I want to go back to the MMT project, the medical uh, multiple medical therapies project with Mike Bell's PI, again, that compares and contrasts different vasoactive agents and outcome. But what it doesn't do, it doesn't look at autoregulation. It doesn't look at mechanism. And so, therefore, our piglet studies and our studies done in tandem with Monica and children will help inform the distal interpretation of observations made in the MMT, MMT project. How do the different vasoactive agents produce different outcomes? Well, let me give you an example of different outcome, and then we'll kind of get to the mechanism. In terms of different outcome, uh, I think I started out by talking about phenylephrine, and so mm -hmm. I'll re-enter the phenylephrine discussion, and then we'll talk about the mechanism portion of it all. So in our piglet studies, similar to the clinical studies that Monica did in brain-injured children, we observed that phenylephrine improved outcome in female piglets, but it didn't do so in male piglets. In fact, it made things worse. And what did it make worse? It made the cerebral autoregulation impairment worse 
Auto regulation was already impaired following fluid percussion injury. We gave phenylephrine to male piglets, and it upended it even worse. There was even greater reductions of CBF when testing water regulation, for example, in the male. However, not in the female. In subsequent studies, we used a different vasoactive agent, dopamine, and surprisingly, dopamine improved outcome, protected auto regulation in both male and female piglets. More recently, we have looked at norepinephrine in both sexes in both ages. These are studies that are, I think, EPUBs now. The first one is in pediatric critical care medicine, and it looked at young pigs, males and females, and gave norepinephrine. And the uh, regimen, what we did was, is we used the clinical strategy of targeting CPP. We used the brain injury guidelines to target CPP in the young pigs to about 60 millimeters of mercury by dialing in norepinephrine. We dialed it in equally in both males and females, and we saw protection in the female, but not in the male. And we also counted cells in hippocampal regions, CA1 and CA3, and in the context of the neurovascular unit, we are interested in how blood flow contributes to neuronal cell integrity. If you protect autoregulation, you normalize CBF, we hypothesize that we should equally protect and limit neuronal cell necrosis. So when we gave norepinephrine in these young pigs, we saw protection of autoregulation, limitation of neuronal cell necrosis in the young female, but that did not occur in the young male. Now, in a study that's also an EPUB in J Neurotrauma, we looked at older pigs and we saw equal protection in both older male and female pigs. So the bottom line is, is, is that we have both a sex and an age dependency in terms of whether a vasoactive agent is protective or not. Let's get to mechanism. In our initial studies, we were interested in um, activated oxygen as a mediator for damage. Activated oxygen is known to impair autoregulation, impair vasodilation. In studies done back in the 80s in the cat, Hermes Contos observed that there was a systemic pressor following traumatic brain injury, and he also used lateral fluid percussion injury. In our older age pig, we saw the systemic pressor and we also saw a generation of activated oxygen. In this case, the systemic pressure causes um, breakdown of the blood-brain barrier, and arachidonic acid is released, a side reaction of AA metabolism is generation of activated oxygen. Curiously, in the newborn pig, we saw lots of activated oxygen, but no systemic pressure. So that got us on a road of a number of different studies, which I'll summarize, which showed that different vasoactive agents, some uh, neurohormones are released. One in particular, the spasmogen endothelin-1, is released in great quantity in the newborn pig, much greater quantity as compared to the juvenile pig, and endothelin causes release of activated oxygen. Now, the relevance of activated oxygen to vasodilation relates to potassium channel function. Mechanistically, an increase in potassium channel flux causes membrane hyperpolarization, vasodilation. Autoregulation 
causes opening of potassium channels. And so therefore, mechanistically, potassium channel function must be intact following, um, in order to have autoregulation be intact. As we've discovered in our studies, following fluid percussion brain injury, potassium channel function is impaired. We know that because if we use openers of potassium channels, which cause dilation as an index of potassium channel function, such dilation is blocked following brain injury and serves as a mechanistic explanation for why autoregulation is impaired following fluid percussion injury uh, in the pig. The endothelin causes release of activated oxygen. Activated oxygen, we discovered, mechanistically impairs potassium channel function. And then superimposed on this, we discovered that males have more endothelin release, more activated oxygen release, as compared to females following brain injury. And when we gave phenylephrine, that was augmented in the, in the male but blocked in the female. So therefore, mechanistically, we have an explanation for why the same vasoactive agent improves outcome in females, but not in males. It's because in females, the activated oxygen is blocked in its release via blockade of endothelin release. Potassium channel function is protected. Autoregulation is therefore protected. In the male, things get worse. Phenylephrine augments activated oxygen release, augments impairment of potassium channel function, augments impairment of cerebral autoregulation. Okay, so in summary or bottom line, what lessons that you've learned in your piglet model can be translated into the clinical approach to vasoactive agents in treating P TBI in pediatric patients? One take-home point is that targeting of MAP cannot be empiric or static, but rather it should be a dynamic process. One should look at a dynamic process such as cerebral autoregulation. Target CPP in terms of protecting autoregulation. So therefore just blindly increasing MAP to some level and going on about one's business is insufficient. One needs to test autoregulation and see if it's protected or not. Second take-home point is that one drug does not fit all. One would think that if one comes into the ER and the systemic pressure support is the paradigm that is used, then, well, gee, at this center, we use expressor, phenylephrine, norepinephrine, and one should just go ahead and give that to all TBI patients, and I counsel against that. I say that the take-home point is that the basics we learn from the clinical, the clinical informs the design of the basic science studies, which then feeds forward to inform the clinical, and in this particular case, we are advocating for personalized medicine, the fact that one agent doesn't fit all, that one drug may improve outcome in the young and may be the best thing to use for pediatric TBI, but may not be the drug of choice for a 30-year-old MVA accident victim. Alternatively, drug Y or Z may be good for males, 
but may not be good for females. We very much advocate for a rigorous comparison of efficacy of different vasoactive agents as a function of age and sex in order to determine which drug may be the real drug of choice for a particular clinical indication and a particular age and a particular sex. All right. Thank you very much for taking time to speak with us today. Thank you for having me.